So in the summer of 1990, I've talked about my life quite often in our, in our years being here since we came here in October of, of uh, 2007. And uh, it, in the summer of 1990 was the year that I was really wrestling with whether or not I was going to make a vow of devotion to Christ. And, and, uh, and part of that journey for me, uh, because, I, because I grew up in a Christian home, but I just always chose to ran f- run from that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why that is tonight, because I think that's probably some of your story as well, is that uh, I, I knew that Jesus talked about counting the cost. And I knew that, that there were some costs to this life of being a follower of Christ that I was not going to want to pay, that there was going to be some changes that I was going to have to make to my life that I wasn't willing to make. And so at one point in that over the summer, I I literally took out a piece of paper and began to write down, just make a list of all the things that I knew that I was going to need to change in my life. Things that I knew that I would have to stop doing, things that I knew that I was going to have to start doing. And I was beginning to wonder if one page was going to be enough. You're with me? And so so I'm making this big list and then I'm I'm looking at this list. I'm spending time with it most days and because I've done half measures before. I grew up going to camps and and vacation Bible schools and being in church services and and going forward at altar calls and and doing what I thought other people expected of me but never really being all in and I knew that God was talking to me at 23 for the first time in my life about being all in for the very first time and I knew what all in looked like I knew what all in was because my parents had an all-in relationship with Christ that's why we call it a vow of devotion to Christ here at City Life because we want people to understand it means that you've got to be all in and so I grew up around inauthentic people just like you, but I grew up around a, lot, around a lot of authentic people just like you. And I knew that there was something real that, 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 that by way of a life and devotion to Christ that was life-defining. And, uh, and so I got this list down to just a few things that I knew were going to be the hardest. Does that make sense? Maybe if you've got a list like that, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, if I try for this one and I could stop doing this one, it wouldn't be so hard to start doing that one. But I got down to a few things that all had to do with stopping. And, and within that list of a few things, there was, there was one that, that I had come to the conclusion, I'm not even sure that's possible. This, this one thing is so much a part of my life, I, I, I don't think that it's humanly possible for me to stop doing this. And I think looking back now, that's the moment where God said, he's finally ready. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Romans 8. I'm excited about this, this shorter message tonight because not only is it going to set up our time for worship and prayer, but this morning when I was praying for the service, I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart that this is going to be the theme of our September series that could possibly push into October. I was joking with you last week that I didn't know what that was. Jenna's been asking me what it's going to be. It's going to be hope. We're going to be preaching about hope in September. I'm excited. And, and tonight is kind of going to be a, an appetizer. Can we call it that? It's going to be a, a, a precursor, a foretaste of what's to come leading into the fall. Romans 8, I'm going to start reading in verse 20. I'm going to read uh, 20 and 21, then I'm going to jump down to 24 with a little bit of commentary along the way. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility. This is going to be an important word for us tonight. Futility means pointlessness. It means uselessness. Futility or, or futile means that you're in a circumstance or in a situation that's so beyond your ability, it's so beyond your power that 
that the situation seems impossible from a human perspective. And so right here, Paul writing to the church of Rome, inspired by the Holy Spirit, which means it's also a message for us today. It's telling us that God intentionally created us in a human condition, in a human situation, and the best word to describe it is futility. Now, not every translation has that. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version, which is a great version, if you want to really lock into some literal meanings. And I'm going to use a few different translations tonight, but this comes out of the New American Standard subjected to futility, not of its own will, meaning that people don't choose, right? You don't wake up tomorrow and go, I really hope I find myself in a futile situation today, right? It's not by our own choosing. God has placed us there. But because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So right here, Paul's defining the futility of our situation, that we're born into a human condition. He draws from the metaphor, the illustration of slavery. People that are enslaved, they're, 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 their situation's futile. Unless someone grants them their freedom, there's no hope for freedom. And Paul is drawing from that image of slavery to saying that's the human condition. You're born into a circumstance in a situation where you are a slave to your humanity. It's futile. There is nothing that you can do of your own strength and your own power to set you free and that's exactly how God wants it why is that because in verse 24 we read for in the in hope we have been saved but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one hope for what he sees so why is hope so important to this idea of being futility I'm glad you asked that because in James 1 17 verse in, in the first part of that verse it says that every good and perfect gift comes from our father who's in heaven and so what Paul's trying to get the church of Rome to understand and what we're trying to get into your heart tonight is that is that this idea when you were born into this life your human condition is hopeless and it's not until you have a revelation of desperation of the hopelessness of your human condition are you ready to receive the things that God wants to give to you. This, your heart has to get to a place where you say, I can't do it on my own. Your heart has to get to a place where you're willing to say, I, I just, no, if I try harder, if I try to do better, it's futile, it's hopeless, it's pointless. I am desperate for what only God can do for me. There has to be a place that you come to where you're willing to say that nothing is good apart from God. That I'm never going to have an opportunity to taste of anything good, to experience anything that resembles perfection unless it comes from God. This idea that James is saying every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven means that it's impossible for anything good to come to you any other way. So anything that we have in our life, like the life that I was living, I thought I was having the time of my life at 23 and I came to John 10 10 where Jesus said I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure and all of a sudden there was this epiphany there was this revelation that I was settling for less that I thought that the reason why I was running from Christianity was so that I could have fun and now I'm realizing that I had bought into a lie because the fun that I was having was the mediocrity that God was trying to save me from that James is saying to the world hey if you want good, if you want perfect, the only way you're going to have it is to abandon yourself to the one who created you. Every human being aches for goodness. Every human being in here tonight, you woke up this morning, and whether you had the thought or not, something inside of you is longing for goodness. Something inside of you is longing for a taste of perfection. I had a little taste of perfection when I was in Brooklyn, I'm just saying 
We went to this little Italian place, and in New York, they might close at 11, which Newport News needs to get this revelation, because if you walk in and you're spending money, they stay open for you. You with me? And so we roll up in there about five minutes to 11. They close at 11, but we've got money to spend, and so they keep the place open for another hour or so. Other people start coming. I was like, I could live in a city like this, right? In Newport News, they go, we're closing in five minutes. Just wanted you to know, right? So we eat this delicious, my, my, my sons were up there with me and they had their first New York style pizza. It's the kind of pizza that you know it's going to melt all the skin off of the roof of your mouth. It's so hot when you bite into it, but you do not care. It's a price that you're willing to pay for the goodness that you're about ready to taste, right? So all of us, are, our mouths are basically bleeding when we leave there, but we're all smiling because we're so happy. And so we're on the way out and Dale says, hey, I think they've got cannolis. We should, maybe we should get some. And, and so I walked out and said, that sounds like a word from the Lord to me. And so we, we walk up to the counter, and we've got a team, it's about 16 or so people, and he's saying, how many cannolis do you want? And so this was part of the, our treating the team for working so hard, and I said, we'll take all the cannolis you have. He's like, no, how many? All of them. Just put them all in a box. We're going to take them with us. So he starts loading up all these cannolis into these uh, like tenfold containers, and, and, and we walk out and start handing these cannolis out to our team, and people are, are biting into these cannolis on the sidewalk and laughing spontaneously. I'm, we are ruined for the ordinary, I'm just saying. It, it's right you've eaten stuff you've tasted things there's things that you restaurants that if we went around the room right now all of you could name a restaurant something that you've eaten that ruined you for the ordinary like jason's deli soups have ruined me for panera soup for the rest of my life right i thought i had something good at panera and then i went to jason's deli for the first time years ago and their soup right you all have a story like that god says if if you would only taste of the goodness that i have to offer you all the cheap imitations that the world has to give you, you would want to spew that stuff out of your mouth because my goodness is just that good. Romans 2, verse 4. The second part says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's the King James Version. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, which also means that when you're walking through this life and wrestling with the decision about whether or not you're going to make a vow of devotion to Christ, God is saying to you and God is saying to me, until you have a revelation of the goodness of God, it is impossible for the human heart to abandon itself to the vow of devotion to my son. Futility is the fertility that enables hope to grow in the human heart. Futility is the fertility that allows hope to germinate, to grow, to come forth, to be born in the human heart. As we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, God is willing to take you to wherever you need to go to have your desperation revelation. It's the lesson that we get from the parable of the prodigal son. He goes after the lost sheep. They look for the lost coin, but the lost son, they leave him out. Why? Because God knows that sometimes we need a desperation revelation before we can be found. Because God's goal is not just to find us. His goal is to rescue us. And the only way we can be rescued if we're willing to give ourselves to the life that God has for us. And we cannot give our lives fully to the life that he has for us until in our heart we have a desperation 
restoration revelation, until we realize the futility of our human condition, until we're willing to come to the end of ourselves and say, I can't try, I can't do it on my own, it is impossible for me to stop doing the things that I need to stop doing, to start doing the things that I need to start doing without the power of God inside of me. And in that moment where you have a desperation revelation and you have this, this, this epiphany of futility, hope begins to come alive in your heart. It's interesting we understand this concept in our natural world that certain environments are conducive to certain things growing in a good way. You with me? If you've farmed or created a garden or if you have a green thumb, one of the things that you understand is the environment makes life possible. It's true for negative things, right? I told my boys on the way home. You put those wet, dirty clothes inside of a bag, you tie a knot, you seal it up before you put it in with your rest of your luggage. But when we get home, right, make sure you open that up right away and get it into the laundry room because if that goes under their bed and it's in there for a few days, when that bag gets open, you're going to all find us dead in our house, right? Because certain environments are conducive for certain things to grow. God has given us so much of this natural world to help us to understand the kingdom of God and the spiritual kingdom in which we are immersed. And he's saying there has to be a certain condition. There has to be a certain environment in order for hope to grow. And there is a spiritual principle that Paul is trying to help the church of Rome to understand, that James is trying to help the church of Jerusalem to understand, that, hey, that you have got to let your heart get to a place of desperation, to futility, a revelation of how futile the human condition is so that hope can begin to come alive in your heart. And when hope begins to come alive in your heart, you begin to believe that the goodness of God is better than anything else that the world has to offer. And in that moment, you're ready to make a vow of devotion to Christ. Matthew 13. This is the parable that we alluded to last week. I think my throat is still coated with drywall dust. I'm just saying. I'm going to jump right down to verse 18. Now, he's just given us the parable of the sower and the seed. He gives the parable. Sometimes he just gives the parable, but sometimes you're reading in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he gives a parable, and then he also gives an explanation of the parable. And so we're going to start down in 18 because we get the parable and the explanation, the running commentary all at the same time. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes, that's the devil, he's real. The evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Now let me stop and talk about this for a couple of minutes. This is one of the reasons why we have a teaching pulpit at the City Life Church. This is one of the reasons why we go deep. This is one of the reasons why we press you. We make you think hard. Sometimes there's words that we use. You've got to go home and find a dictionary to look those things up because we work hard in our time of teaching. We're just not giving you a cursory glance at this verse and a cute little anecdotal story and sending you on your way because those things don't bring you to a place of understanding. And right here in this parable, we understand as church leaders that unless there's understanding, there's no hope for the message of God to begin to take root in your heart. And if, if it doesn't take root in your heart, the devil could come and snatch it away. But if there's a little bit of understanding, my favorite thing, my favorite thing to hear on a Saturday night after we preach is, I never knew that before. I didn't know that verse was in there. 
I never understood. I've, I've always wondered what that meant, and now I know. I, I, I get excited about that. Because if there's understanding, there's the opportunity for the message of God to take root. Now, you can give the message away if you want to. Does that make sense? You can have understanding and just cast it aside, but that's your decision. That's on you. But if there's a little bit of understanding, the devil is not able to take it from you. He can't take it from you. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 20. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots that don't last long, they fall away. Listen to what it says. As soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Now, I believe this parable is a parable on hope. Now, this parable doesn't talk specifically about hope, but I we, as a church, we practice this idea of understanding the Bible in light of itself. And so I think what, what, what Jesus is trying to say to us here is that one of the reasons why people here fall away is because the message of God comes in their heart, but as soon as it begins to cause them to pay a price that they're not willing to pay, they walk away. Because they don't believe that the goodness of God is worth it. They, they, don't, they don't have a revelation of the goodness of God that's big enough that you should have, because when you have a revelation of the goodness of God that rises to the level of the revelation that the Scripture gives to us, we're supposed to say, I don't care what it's going to cost me. Even if he asks me to lay down my life, it doesn't matter, because even that is a small price to pay for the goodness of God that he wants to give to me. That's why when you read in the Scriptures, the disciples, when, whenever they were persecuted, they celebrated. Where is that, Right? Myself included, preaching to myself tonight. If we're persecuted for our faith, it's woe is me. And in this day and time, they were excited. They said, I can't wait to pay whatever price is going to be asked of me because the goodness of God is so great. There is no price that I could ever pay that would surpass the goodness of God. And Jesus is saying, unless you've got a revelation of how big the goodness of God is, when it begins to cost you something, when, when you have to begin to pay a price, so many people walk away. We pray so often for the persecution to stop, but really what we should be praying for is, God, give me a deeper revelation of your goodness that overshadows the suffering of my present circumstance. Verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. I think Jesus is saying here, this is the person, this is the situation and the circumstance where they begin to believe the lie that there is another source of goodness somewhere else. The wealth of this world, the imitations of goodness that the devil tries to offer us, the, the, the imitations of goodness that this secular world puts in front of us, that, that, that people that don't have a full and complete revelation of the goodness of God, they begin to believe the lie that the devil whispers in their ear that God's not the only source of goodness. You can go out there and find goodness on your own. When, when you have the kind of revelation of the goodness of God that God wants you to have, and when you have a revelation, this is why it's important they both go together. You also have to have a revelation of the futility of the condition of our humanity because if you have a revelation of the futileness of your human condition, you would never believe the lie that you could find it on your own. Does that make sense? There's, there's as, as, as Jamal would say, are you picking up what I'm putting down? All right, all right, all right. All right, here we go. Here's the home stretch. The seed that fell on, what's it called? It's called good soil. 
You know why it's called good soil? Because it is the soil of the heart that has a revelation of the goodness of God. It's good soil. Represents those who truly hear and understand God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. It means that if you live in the light of the revelation of the futility of your humanity, that without God nothing can be good and nothing can be perfect, when you live in that place, there's good soil in your heart. And good soil gives birth to hope. And that hope causes you to look to God and God alone for the goodness that he wants to give to you. And I am telling you, it is a pillar of our Christian experience. And we're going to spend September, maybe into October, we're going to be exploring everywhere the Bible talks about hope. We're going to be looking at stories of hope. People in our world are desperate for hope, but they cannot have hope until they're willing to acknowledge the futility of their own condition, and then the pride of humanity does not like to go to that place. Some people are are stuck here tonight in your journey in this life because of pride. Pride was, was, was my big barrier. The lie of pride says that you can do it on your own. You with me? That's the lie of pride. And some of you, I'm telling you, you're stuck tonight because you're, you're, you're not willing to acknowledge that you are completely depraved and apart from God, you can do nothing. You've you got to be willing to go there. And it's, 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 it is completely goes against the grain of our humanity. We, we don't like that, right? If you have ever had children, you remember the first day that they say, I do it myself, Right? It's one of the first things that kids learn how to say. Why? Because that's part of our humanity. Now, there is some good to that, right? There there is some good to to, to wanting them to begin to build and develop this idea of being self-reliant. But there's a limit to that. If we're not careful, that thing which is good in certain circumstances, if it defines all of who we are, becomes a barrier. So we've got to teach our children there are some things that you can do. If you're parenting from the scriptures, you've got to teach your kids, hey, there's some things that you can do, but there's a lot that you can't. And then we depend on the Father. You've got to put that deep into the hearts of our children. We talk about that in Growing Kids God's Way. If you've not taken that parenting class, you've got young kids, you've got to sign up for that class. We'll do it in the spring. We tell people all the time, God gave you naturally the ability to make those kids, but you were not born with the knowledge to raise them apart from God's word. Some of you here tonight, you're stuck, and I think this is going to be a big one for people. You're stuck because you're mad at God. You're stuck because you're mad at God because you feel that he has put things into your life that are not fair. You're stuck because you look at other people and say, God, if you had made me like them, life would be easier for me. You're mad at God. You're, you're mad at God because you're saying, God, this, this marriage that I'm in, these, these, these children that you gave to me, you're right, if you've had that conversation with God, it's like Adam in the Garden of Eden, this woman that you gave to me, right? Moments where you feel that, hey, life's just not fair. And God, if I believe in God's sovereignty, then he had the ability to choose something different from me. Hey, guess what? That's true. He did. He did have the ability to give something different for you, but he did not. You've not been overlooked. People get mad at God because they say, hey, God, this just, it's it's too much. It's not fair. It's not right. 
I grew up in a small town called Verina. It's east of Richmond. It's farm country. We did not grow up on a farm, but we lived and farms were all around us. And, and every year when it came time for farmers to fertilize their field, they didn't have to let us know that that was happening because the aroma of the air brought about the revelation of the fertilization of those fields. I'm just telling you tonight, preaching to myself, the most unfair circumstances and situations that we've ever had in this life are some of God's greatest gift to us. Maybe you've said, God, this is, maybe you've just said it. This is crap. Maybe you've used other words in your private times of conversations with God. And I think God says to us, you better believe it is, because I am fertilizing the soil of your life. Because the deeper you go into your revelation of the futility of your humanity, the more fertile your soil becomes, and you are a candidate for hope that this world has never seen. The people in this room that are suffering the biggest injustices, the people in this room whose life is the most unfair, we should be envying them because there is a hope that's possible in their life that's not possible in ours. I'm telling you, it's the kind of hope that existed 2,000 years ago in the first century when the, these handful of Christians in the city of Jerusalem, an afterthought in geography, an afterthought in the Roman Empire, it was from this place of nothing. It was from this place of persecution. It was from this place of a life that was completely and totally unfair. When they began to persecute the church and slaughter the Christians, I am telling you, I think God in heaven, his heart broke for the suffering of his people, but he did not withhold it because he knew that he was heaping fertilization on a movement that was going to change the world. All of creation, the Bible says, was longing for the day that the Messiah would come. God was just shoveling it out onto the early church, shoveling it out. And hope was born that set the world on fire. If you were in a place tonight where your situation and your circumstance feels desperate, it feels futile, it feels pointless and useless to even try. As a church, we're calling that the grace place. It's the grace place because God has graced you because he's placed you right where he wants you so that hope can come alive in you. When, 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 when situations that are unfair, when things come to us, like Warren, if anybody has a right to say, God, this is not fair, it would be Warren Matthews, but we know his heart. That's, I've talked to Warren multiple, that's not his conversation he's having with God. Because he has a revelation of the futility of his humanity, and there is hope that is alive in him because he believes in the goodness of God, and he wins no matter what, because as Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If you were in a grace place, you have been graced by God. He's got you right where he wants you so that hope can come alive in you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and if you're scheduled for prayer, you can find your place along the side. I've got three things that, that I want to challenge you that if, if, if you need prayer tonight, especially in one of these three areas, but if I don't hit one of the areas that's, that's pertinent to you, it doesn't mean that you can't come. And can I just say to you tonight, if you have never had anyone pray over you before, 
They're not going to do anything weird. You can keep your eyes open if you want to. It's okay. Right? It's okay. There's nothing special about closing your eyes. In fact, we teach when we're doing street ministry in New York. We were going out to do homeless ministry in the middle of the night, and we're doing a little orientation on the van. The Bible says to watch and pray. We take that literally when we're doing street ministry, right? You pray with people because that feeling of something touching you might not be the Holy Spirit. It just might be somebody taking your wallet when you're in New York City, right? So if, if, you're, if you're suspicious, keep your eyes open. If you are here tonight, and you have never had anybody pray with you before, and you leave here without finding someone to pray with, I'm telling you, you missed out on something tonight. There is nothing like standing in a place of prayer. God gives people pictures. He gives them verses. It can, it can set your life on a whole new course. So you come no matter what. But I believe there are three specifically that I'm supposed to say tonight for, for people. I believe there's a grace for some of these things tonight. One, if you are wrestling with your own decision of making a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm going to challenge you to come forward for prayer. They're not going to, they're not going to, it's not like a timeshare sales thing, right? They're going to, if they can't give you a better deal, they're going to bring in some elders to try to give you a better package. You with me? We're not going to try to convince you to make a vow of devotion to Christ. This is just you saying, I'm, I'm, I've never made a vow of devotion to Christ. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Just come. And what they're going to pray for you is that, is that you're going to come to a revelation of the desperation of your human condition so that hope can come alive in your heart. They're just going to pray that over you. They're not going to try to talk you into doing anything that you want. But I'm just, if you are here tonight, and I know there are people here that you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, you come and you let them pray for you to help. Like I needed help in prayer when I was 23. All right, the second one is this. If you have a child or a family member, a friend, a spouse, a coworker, you fill in the blank who's yet to make a vow of devotion to Christ, you come and you stand together with someone tonight to pray for them. Pray what we're talking about tonight. God, I pray for my husband tonight. I pray for my children tonight that they're going to have a revelation of your goodness. You with me? You pray and we'll pray with you. I am telling you that I am a product of praying parents for 23 years. They had a, we grew up in the Episcopal church and there was a prayer bench at the foot of their bed and I am telling you, I know they've got calluses on their knees because I put them onto that bench all throughout my life and I'm telling you, when you begin to pray for other people, supernatural things happen. I can't explain it to you, I just know it works. God says pray. He hears, he moves, he orchestrates people to come across their path. You pray, you come. If you are facing a desperate situation, if you're in a grace place tonight, you come for prayer. You come. Stand up here and say, I'm in a situation. You don't have to tell the whole story. You don't need to go into the details. Just say, hey, I'm facing circumstances and situations that are just beyond me. And they're just going to begin to pray over you. They're going to pray the goodness of God over you. They're going to pray that, that you're going to endure, that you're not going to give up, that you're not going to pull up too short, and that this work that God is doing in your life is going to have the result that it's supposed to have, which is hope coming alive in you. Stand with me. Father, we pray for every person that's going to come tonight for prayer in this time of worship. We pray, Father, that maybe even people that are standing right now when they're saying, I'm not going up there, that maybe just into this song that you're going to begin to stir their heart in such a way and they don't even understand the why and the how, but they're just going to find themselves up here. Father, you might just bring people to this altar just to pray with you. You might bring people to kneel right up here on this hard concrete floor just to talk to you. 
Father, we know that tonight is a night where people are going to hear from you, that, that you're going to awaken some people tonight to feel your presence for the first time. Father, we know that, 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 that people's hearts are going to be so open to you tonight, God, that maybe some people are going to be baptized in your spirit. That people tonight are going to make a, a vow of devotion to you and take their first spiritual breath. God, we say whatever the need is, represented in every person that's here that not one person would leave here tonight without an answer to their question without a solution to their problem without a provision for their life God we trust you that you always have our best interest at heart and that every good and perfect gift comes from you and comes from you alone in Jesus' name come on and everybody said together Amen. Let's worship.